Hey, Tallites, we're back with another podcast. Uh, this is Chris. This is Casey. Clay. Yeah, and joining us today on Tallite Talk is Clay. You'll know him from uh, Don't Forget Tallite.com. He does Top of the Stack every week, our, uh, our comic book column of uh, the comics you should be reading. Yes. So, uh, yeah, welcome, Clay. I'm glad you could join us. Yes, I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to talk about this film. <laughs> We're gonna get uh, we're gonna get into Suicide Squad today. It uh, came out over the weekend. Uh, to I guess you know it's it's we're getting it from both ends here. We're getting uh, the critics are hating it, audience is loving it. Uh, we'll, we're gonna give you our thoughts on it uh, from the from our geekly perspective. I think that's probably the most important thing um, when it comes to these kind of movies. You know, Marvel has such a lockdown in the movie uh, the movie the comic book movie world and you know, it's loved by fans and critics alike. Here we have DC trying to find their foothold in uh, their own cinematic universe, and with a rather lackluster start with Batman versus Superman, uh, Man of Steel. You know, everybody can argue whether it was okay or not, um, but Batman versus Superman was a real uh, was a real downer for a lot of people. So um, let's go right into Suicide Squad. Uh, we're probably not gonna have enough time to talk about anything else besides this movie. So, uh, you guys, you guys saw it over the weekend, so you were part of those uh, those record-breaking numbers, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I saw it on uh, Saturday night. Cool. I just got around to seeing it today. Uh, I work on weekends, so it's not really a possibility sometimes. Uh, so it opened as the biggest uh, August movie of yet, uh, 135 million dollars. Uh, what do you what do you guys think about that? This is uh you know we we're just mentioning that Guardians of the Galaxy previously held this this record. Uh, now another comic book movie has uh, usurped it usurped it from its throne. So uh, let's start with uh, Casey, who does a weekend weekend roundup, and you, you just wrote about this yesterday. So I mean, I'm, it doesn't surprise me, and the reason why is because, and we'll go deeper into it as we keep talking. DC fans in you know, comic book fans want a good DC movie. The trailers for this movie kick complete ass. Um, like, just the first Bohemian Rhapsody trailer is arguably one of the greatest trailers I've ever seen. And, um, you know, you even though the reviews came out and, um, you know, it, it was sitting... Uh, before the weekend, it was sitting around a 36% rotten on Rotten Tomatoes by the critics... It was around a 76 to 85 um, fresh rating by the fans. That has since dropped down to uh, 20 26% rotten and 71% fresh by fans. Um, but people didn't seem to give a shit about the bad press, and they just wanted to go. And, you know, this has been a pretty lackluster um, summer as far as the numbers go in box office, you know, uh, receipts. So I think that end of August here, people really wanted to see something fun, and they went to the theater, and it was PG thirteen, so everyone could go. Yeah, I think that's I think that's important. Um, there was a lot of I guess flack about it getting the PG thirteen. Deadpool had done such a good, uh, had such success, I should say, uh, with an R rating that maybe you know this kind of movie should have been rated R. But at the same time, you want your your cinematic universe when you're trying to start it off to be accessible to basically a lot more people. So 
I thought that the PG-13 rating worked for the movie. Um, what about you guys, Clay? Um, you know, uh, I think that the PG-13 rating, like you said, it makes it, it like entirely accessible to everyone. And I think while it could have been an R-rated movie, I think it's a very smart move for it, in the very beginning at least, to have this. You know, Deadpool works as an R-rated film because he's a very raunchy character. And all these characters can exist in, you know, a non-raunchy way, whereas if you were to have a PG-13 Deadpool, it would it would seem false. Um, as for, like, the, the you know, uh, success of this in comparison to Guardians of the Galaxy, honestly, it, someone was talking to me about this today, and I don't think it's surprising in the least because with Guardians, uh, there were so many people who were watching the trailers and everything and not knowing anything about these characters. You know what I mean? Like this is a fresh film and that was the brilliance of that. But when you see Suicide Squad, it's this bright, colorful, like crazy fun film with, you know, the Joker and Harley Quinn and these characters that like, even if those two can carry, you know, those trailers because they're so familiar to people, you know, growing up, you have a whole generation of people who watch the animated series and Harley Quinn and the Joker are huge parts of that. And even if you didn't watch that, I mean, the Joker has been, you know, he's just as important mainstay of, you know, of, of comics and pop culture as Batman, you know? So it's like having your own Batman. And then of course, Batman was in the film. So, yeah, no, I totally, I, I agree with that. Um, I really think that they they used they used the uh, the the Joker and Harley to really push the film uh, through the trailers. Um, and well, I guess we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, the usage of the Joker in the movie, and and kind of our reactions to Harley Quinn. Uh, let's let's just kind of uh, lay it out there. Um, you guys, how how familiar were were you with uh, Suicide Squad before you watched this movie? Uh, let's go ahead, Casey. Um, it's, you know, not as familiar. I know all of these characters um, kind of individually. Um, Killer Croc, I know him from the animated series and the comics. Uh, Deadshot, honestly, is probably my least familiar. I know him from Assault on Arkham. I know him from what they did on Arrow with him. Um, and I've seen him show up a few times. Like, I, he's even in uh, the Arkham... Uh, video games. So, like, I know Deadshot a little bit. Uh, El Diablo, never seen him. Uh, Slipknot, never seen him before. Harley, Joker, obviously I know them as much as I know Batman because it just kind of all goes hand in hand. I grew up with the animated series, but have I ever read one Suicide comic? I have not. Uh, Clay? Um, oh, uh, uh, I came to the realization that I think I've read one Suicide comic, <laughs> uh, Suicide Squad comic, mm-hmm. um, but I'm you know I'm fairly familiar with all these characters. You know what I mean? I've read um, you know a few stories with the Enchantress, Killer Croc's obviously a mainstay of the Batman universe, which I've you know all been very uh, familiar with for a long time. Uh, Joker and Harley, same thing with them. Deadshot pops in and out of different comics, so I've seen him that way. But a lot of it, like you know, I don't know, like of Katana fairly familiar with and same with um, uh, Amanda Waller but uh, uh, the Suicide Squad as a comic I'm not as familiar with I haven't read the Osterman stuff or anything like that and that's that's uh, that's homework I'm going to sign you both go read some uh, John Ostrander uh, some <laughs> the run there uh, it's 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 classic um, you know it was 
it was right in there, like the late 80s, into the early 90s. It's a really long run. It's like 60 something issues. Uh, from there, from there on out, it was it was kind of like hit or miss with it. It would be like uh, like volume two, volume three were shorter, and then it really came back in like 2011, uh, right around you know right around the new 52, and they they rebooted it, and even now they're they're rebooting it basically again in rebirth, uh, which I just read today the um, the one shot, which I'm 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 you know it was very very, very similar to the cast of the movie, um, so they're really tying it into this this new universe. So it's it's interesting to see them go from that new 52 universe where Harley Quinn really took a prominent uh, role in the Suicide Squad, and now um, now they're really kind of adapting it to the movie. Uh, but there is a lot of things in this film that if you read the Ostrander run, um, you'll notice... Um, Little things here and there, and I, I really think that David Ayer, Ayer whatever you know, what, however you want to say his name, did his homework. Um, and um, as we talk about the movie, um, I, I guess I can, I'll mention little things here and there that um, I do recognize from the comic run. Sweet. So, yeah. where do you guys want to start here? Um, do you guys want to start with, with the actors? You want to go start with that? What do you want to? Let's talk about the cast. That sounds okay. that sounds a good way. Um, starting off, let's start with let's start off with Will Smith. He's the uh, the main name on this bill. Um, Will Smith. It was a it was a big change from the comics. Uh, Floyd Lawton in the comics is a white guy. Um, it was a lot of this got a lot of flack from from the people in the comic world that seemed to not want to really accept change. Which is um, you know we're seeing this more and more these days. They should have been cool with it. You know, since the days when Samuel Jackson became uh, Nick Fury, even in the comics, when they based him on the character, so it's like this is not a new concept. So I don't know why people still have a problem with it. Will Smith was, I will say, was probably my favorite part of this movie. Um, I think that he owned that character. I like that they humanized the character of Deadshot. My problem with Deadshot in the comics is that he always was acting like he had nothing to live for. He, he was truly a suicidal character in a way, um, and the whole idea of him having a daughter. That wasn't really brought in until later. Um, I forget when they did that. It was, it was in the 2000s at some point when they decided. I think it may have been New 52, but it is. Um, uh, that was what it was. He had a daughter previously, but it wasn't really a big. It wasn't a big plot device. He had a son, who was like, got fucked up or something, and I guess maybe I think he got killed. So he really had nothing to live for. Um, I liked this whole idea with Will Smith. Um, Still being a badass, but he was like, I want to take care of my daughter. It really humanized this anti-hero, which uh, Deadshot has actually more or less become in, I guess, more recent uh, iterations of the character and the and the Suicide Squad. Yeah, no, I um, I I think uh, something that I think is really funny. I mean, Will Smith's performance, just starting this off, is. Great. I mean, he plays Will Smith essentially, but like, it's funny and it's entertaining, and that's everything you want from you know this kind of film. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I is 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 it a, is it just a Hollywood thing? I think where like mercenaries are some of the most likable people in any film, and like you f I feel like in reality, you, you, these people kill like they, they make a point of saying that like they he kills lots of people for money. Like, that's someone who's maybe morally, like, ambiguous and, like, 
probably not a good person, but they always build that up in films that he's a good guy. Um, it works because he's fucking Will Smith. Let's be honest, like he's a likable yeah. dude, so like they he works for that role. Um, but yeah, no, I really liked his performance. Um, I thought I it's they definitely made him the center of attention. Him and Harley. Um, I know we'll get to her later, but like, yeah, it was it was basically Harley and Deadshot the film. I just want to say, um, they do make a point of bringing up that he doesn't kill women and children, and that he basically kills scumbags, you know, or people that kind of deserve it. I, so I kind of feel like, in a way, they made him like this, this good, this good mercenary. Go ahead. So he's so he's Batman in this universe. <laughs> he's, he's Batman. He's the Batman has no problems killing people apparently, right? He's Batman with a gun. Yep. Yeah. More Dexter. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I um, I liked I liked him a lot in the movie. He was definitely the best Will Smith that we've seen in years. Um, coming off his semi Oscar nominated film Focus with Margot Robbie, um, they they top build the both of them. Um, I felt like this is overall, but sometimes like the jokes fell flat to me. Like, sometimes I was like, you're just trying way too hard, and I just... Yeah, I don't need to laugh right now. What were you going to say, Chris? I want, I want to kind of... I want to mention this, though, because this movie was written and directed by David Iyer, and I don't know if if I really felt like he was the guy to write this film. Um, I really don't think he was. I found a lot of the dialogue, like you said, it was either goofy or it was just downright stupid. And, I, and that's what kind of took me away from the film at times. But go ahead. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just writing down <laughs> like one of the stupidest lines I've ever heard in my life. Um, but anywho, for Deadshot, the other thing is, is like, so they, they get him out and they let him look at all these guns and Rick Flagg's like, yo, dude, I gotta see what you can do. Well, I could tell you that Amanda Waller knows what he can do, yeah. which is why he got fucking recruited. So I didn't need to see a whole scene of him shooting fucking nothing. And then he gets on top of all those cars and he's shooting up all these blob creatures. And I was like, I don't feel anything. It's not a cool scene. Like, it wasn't like insane shots that I've never seen before. It was just like, okay, so he knows how to shoot them. Everyone's just going to watch them. Ugh, let's just get over with this action sequence and let's get back to you guys together and, you know, some bonding or some shit. Like, that was the only thing is, like, I, I don't have anything against Will Smith or Deadshot as a character. I, I like him a lot. When he put that mask on, I thought that was really cool. Um, but it was like, did he do anything as a character that made me go, oh, this is totally different. I've never seen this before. Nope. And and that was, that was my only problem with Deadshot. Here... Here's the first time I'm going to bring this up. I feel that they could have done a lot more camera work with him. They could have done like more like bullet time stuff. I think they wasted a lot of CGI on the Enchantress and her stupid brother. Um, but we can talk about that in a little bit. Um, I just feel like, yeah, like you said, it was a little mundane. But at the same time, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a shoot 'em up guy. So I was kind of like that scene where he's like on top of the car was, all right. At least he's now he's he's kicking ass. So um, these little arguments, I think he was yeah 
he was definitely the uh, one of the top two characters in the movie. Definitely. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the 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 sequence you guys are mentioning where he gets on top of the car and he starts shooting, about like five seconds into that, I realized that it was supposed to be like one of those like, oh, check out how badass this guy is. But really, visually, he's waving his arms around. And like people are dying, like it's not like it's not even in like a cool like oh he's a magician and like people are dying. It's like he has you know guns strapped to his arms, which is accurate. Like I'm not dissing that, but like it's literally just like a, a like a minute long scene of him just kind of waving his arms around, and there's no like sentimentality or like there's no like you don't you don't have anything built there emotionally. So there is kind of this weird like the scene's done before it's done. Like exactly. you are done watching the scene before he's gotten off the car. At least that's how I was. And I was just kind of like, okay, so like he's still doing this for a little while. Yep. It, was, it was just weird. It was a weird break, pacing-wise. Yep. The, the scene would have benefited better if it was more gory. You know, like, heads exploding, and like you're going, like, zooming in with a bullet, and it's like going, like, it was it was kind of wasted. Yeah, um, the, it was. Easily, it was boring. Easily just show the, the, the collateral damage. Show what he's doing. Like, they didn't really do that. They showed, like, one or two back and forths but it's like you see, you know, them falling. You don't see, like, those cool, like, David Ayer, like, stylistic shots that he was doing throughout the rest of the movie that could have been, like, check out this bullet, like, penetrating this guy and going through it. Like, the, like, it, like if we're going to compare it to it, like, Deadpool did it perfectly with the gunplay battle on the bridge. You know what I mean? Like, those, like, that's, that, if, if, that's the perfect interpretation of the gunplay comic book character, right? Like, they, there are always those characters. Deadpool is, arguably the one for uh, Marvel, and then we have Deadshot, and he's an extremely important piece of the DC universe in that. So, like, make it a spectacle when he pulls his guns out. Don't just make him, like, like the same, you know, like Rick Flagg, only a better shot, mm -hmm. you know? Exactly, exactly. All right, so we can all agree that Will Smith was good. They should have showcased the way he shot guns better. Most definitely. Yeah, uh, all right, next up, let's talk about uh, Margot Robbie. I don't want to, well... What? I don't want to go through all the big people all at mm -hmm. once. That's okay. all I'm saying. That's only, I put it in this order only because I, I wanted to save the best for last. <laughs> if that's... You are? All right, let's save that for end. That's yeah. Um, so so what do we want? Let's talk about, let's talk about the, uh, the Batman... Uh, cameo in this. Let's talk about both the cameos in this. I think... Uh, you mean Bruce and the Bat? No, I mean Bruce the Bat and the Flash. Mm. Uh, which was cool. Uh, very cool to see. I mean, it's it ties in the fact that, uh, you know, Boomerang is a is a, uh, is a a rogue, and he was probably in Central City robbing a bank. It brings in some uh, good Flash humor. So that was... Uh, you know, I knew that was coming. I had gotten spoiled on it, but it was... Uh, it was a cool little thing to happen in the movie. Yeah, that's one of the unfortunate things about like the modern day of, of of like films in general is that like almost everything gets spoiled nowadays. Like you can't have like a cool like holy shit, the flash is in the movie. It's like yeah, I saw a clickbait header a month ago that said the flash is gonna be in the movie. I was like, God damn it. Like I wanted that that's a special moment. You know what I mean? Like I want save that. Like don't I don't know. No, you're right. Uh, it's I think I think his uh I, th I think the flash appearance especially was 
was really interesting. Like, I'm still getting used to his Flash, right? Like, we haven't seen a whole lot. We've seen the Justice League trailer. But this is the first time, cinematically, like, within an actual film that we're seeing him as... The, oh, no, I guess tech, in suit. Let me rephrase that. No? I guess technically he was in Batman vs. Superman for, like, a split second in suit. In a weird I don't say... That's the weird suit. That's the weird future I-gotta-fight-dark-side suit. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the injustice know, suit. <laughs> right. That, so this is arguably like the 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 cinematic suit the first time we're seeing it. So it's weird. I like it, like the the lightning and stuff they do and he you know, he gives out like a a pretty funny quip like you know, the theater left and um <coughs> it's it's a cool moment because this is like the first time we get real interaction besides like a video, you know what I mean? From like besides Wonder Woman, besides the Trinity, we get these you know what is eventually going to be the Justice League playing out in this world. It makes it feel more you know vast. United. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, and that was the thing about seeing Batman in the movie. It was great because you know, I mean, Deadshot was originally he was in he was introduced in the Batman comic. Um, it was good to see him you know in the streets of Gotham doing his thing, and then Batman coming and shutting him down. Um, we all expect to see the Batman in the Joker and Harley flashback, but it was cool that he actually showed up and, and stopped Deadshot. Um, and and they're kind of brought about the fact that, you know, his daughter knows what he does, but at the same time, she doesn't condone it. And she's like, you got to stop. And he's like, all right, fine. <laughs> Gives up. But then he has that, that funny thing where he has the, the dream and he, he shoots the Batman. Yeah. Everyone wants to kill the Batman. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mind it at the time, but when I thought about it, everybody was getting their dreams. You know what I mean? Like Joker, sorry, Harley has her dream with Joker, and like that's her thing. And uh, what was it? Rick Flagg was going to be with June Moon, right? Like that's her thing. <laughs> that shots wasn't, I'm going to be with my daughter and have a happy life. Yeah. His was, I'm going to kill Batman. Yeah. I did I did not care at the time, but I thought about that, and I was like, I guess if he kills Batman, he will also be able to be with his daughter, but it just seems like he's got that backwards a little bit. Well, that was, that was exactly what I thought when I saw it, too, was you have that moment where you're like, you could almost predict what it is, right? Because each one has very, like, they lay it out very obviously. Like, Rick Flagg loves, you know, June Moon. Like, all this stuff makes sense. And then it gets to the Deadshot one, and I'm like, wait a minute. Like, he... He obviously didn't kill Batman, so like that shouldn't be his issue. His issue is like he wants more time with that's his that's his end game. That's like his his arc is like getting back to his daughter. So like why wouldn't you kind of like Yeah, that was that was a little silly. I mean it is and it's not because if he's if it's a dream and he's frustrated every time he's he's working and he's getting shut down by Batman, that's like the end of things. And then he realizes he, you know, I really don't want this. You know, so I mean it's a means to an end. <laughs> it's like yeah. stop, stop the Batman. That's, That's right. <laughs> um, what's that? Oh, I was just gonna say I was because we, we were just talking about the dream sequence. It was, I understand that it's like fairly can't you know it's like mad love and everything with like the Harley Quinn romance, but I felt like it was really strange her like dream sequence with it being like the perfect like them like unscathed and not themselves. I'm like she's fucking nuts like if anything let them like it would have been a funnier moment if they were all decked out in their Joker and Harley Quinn gear and they were sitting there with children and like you know what I mean like that's like straight from Mad Love 
But that's that would have been hysterical. It would have been like she was a punchline a lot of times in this film. That would have been another great punchline. You know what I mean? Even in a serious moment like that, you know? It's true. And we'll get into that relationship in a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's um let's let's start from the beginning here because um when the Suicide Squad first started off in the comics, um, compared to how the movie starts out, there are really only three three character three bad guys that are put on the team that are in the original team. We have Deadshot, we have Captain Boomerang, and we have the Enchantress. Those are the only three. All right. Um, of course, there's Rick Flag, there's Amanda Waller, uh, and so on. So they added into this. We have now we have Killer Croc. We have um, we have I guess we'll say Slipknot. Slipknot is actually it's funny. I'm going to say this right now because Slipknot is the same happens the same thing as in the comic. He's basically fodder. Like why do they put him in this movie? They put him in the movie, the same reason why they put a lot of these other nobodies into the, like, the comics or into Assault in Arkham, so they can show you how that head bomb works, so the arm, or the arm bomb works, like it, it's an arm bomb in the, uh, in the original comic. But um, it's just, it's, 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 like I always say, it's a means to an end. Um, and it's always Captain Boomerang who, who fucks, <laughs> like, fucks them over, because he's like, all right, he's either going to, he either straight up kill somebody, or... He like convinces them to go along, and they're the one that gets killed. So mm-hmm. it's funny that um, it was the same way in the in the movie. Um, what do you guys think about what do you guys think about the team that they they added on? I mean, I was fine with it. Like I, I since I didn't read the comic, it didn't matter. And even in Solvon Arkham, they had KG Beast and uh, Killer Frost and stuff like that. So. Um, as far as the team that they assembled, um, you know, let's we'll, we can go through everybody, and, and then I can kind of tell you. But just the, the team itself was good; it, it was fine. They all had a particular set of skills. Exactly, it was well balanced. I thought um, with, you know, it was neat with um, uh, what was the fire guy? Sorry, El Diablo. El Diablo. It was good. It was it was good to see that kind of character as well because a meta of that, um, I guess, caliber. We haven't really seen as much in the movies um, as of yet, so that was that was cool to see that, uh, especially in the scenes that he was able to like unleash his power. So, um. I I I think for me the only problem I had with like the the group, the Suicide Squad that they set up for this movie, it was Killer Croc, and it's not like. I have problems with the way he was utilized, but like besides that, Killer Croc has always been like isolated in a sewer. Like he's been his own like entity alone from everyone else. Like I never you don't really like see him team up with people except for like occasionally in the games and stuff like that. Um so like to see him in a team of people and trying to make him a little bit more sociable and stuff was was kind of like a little jarring because he's not he's like, you know, a sewer creature who hides from the shadows and doesn't want to deal with people. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind oh, of yeah. weird. And then, like, the fact that you know, how they utilize him. They didn't know what to do with him in the third act and all, at all. They didn't know what to do with him in the entire film, really. He just punches people a couple times. But, like, especially in the third act, they're like, what are you going to do? And then he just, you know, I guess I'm going in the water because that's what I do. I'm the water guy. And then he goes in the water. I mean, like, that's how they utilize him. There's, like, a very loose, like, 
like that whole sequence where they're like the the station is flooded. Why was it flooded? Why did it need to be flooded? Like that was so pointless. It made like very little sense to me. So the fact that they like conceived of a way of using that character in the third act because they had nothing to do with them. They're like, oh hey, what if you know the subway's flooded and he's the only one who can get down there because he's Killer Croc? It felt fabricated. You know what I mean? Like it felt like they, it wasn't like a natural progression to get to that. Like we're going to utilize this character. Here's my other issue with that character. This guy was normal height. You can you can use CGI to make people into hobbits. You can't use it to make this guy nine feet tall. I mean, he looked good, but he looked goofy at the same time to me. And yeah. I just felt like he was either just thrown in there, or like I said before, you use all your fucking um, CGI to do magic stuff with Enchantress way too much instead of using it intelligently. You know what I mean? And I I just think that was kind of like a failed a failed point. I didn't hate the character. I just really thought that it was kind of wasted at the same time. Yeah. I um I thought that, you know, I'm always going to pick prosthetics over CGI all day. And I was appreciative of that fact. But that guy, like, just get someone else to do those lines. Like, get a massive wrestler. You know what I mean? Get, like, somebody like Kane, like, who's, like, seven feet tall and just jacked. You know what I mean? Or, like, Dave Batista, you know, with how he does Drax. Like, get a massive dude who stands next to the team and is, like, a juggernaut over all of them. Like, that's what you really needed. And, I mean, if we're going to talk about it right now, like, that BT line, I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? <laughs> like, he's a crocodile. Like, we don't, from all we know, he's looked like a crocodile his whole life. So you're making him black? Like, yeah. we know who the actor is, but, like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. It doesn't. And, you know, what I'm saying, I'm not saying do complete CGI for him. They could have made, they could have made him appear bigger. You know, actor. Just get a different actor. Or do what they do for Tom Cruise. Change the fucking camera angle so he looks taller than everybody. Exactly. I, do something. You know, and, like, the... The theory behind why they cast him is because they wanted him, his acting performance, but, like, this role, there was none. I could hardly understand what he was saying half the fucking time. So, like, you could have definitely, like, used... I look beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree with that completely. Get a different actor for that role, because it's just, you know, you get someone who will do it for, like, not as much money, even, because he only has, like, five lines. I mean, maybe he did it in the first cut, but, like, you know, in this one, he only had five. Well, he had to get somebody who's going to sit through all that makeup, but I can tell you that almost any... Get, like, Derek Mears, who played the main Predator in Predators, and Jason in, um... What's his name? Freddy vs. Jason. The dude's, like, I don't know, seven feet tall and just huge. Like, just get a just get a big fucking dude who can say three lines. That's it. Yeah. Ugh. Anywho, but that's, that's my take on... on Killer Croc. Who do you want to talk about next? Let's move on to let's move on to Amanda Waller. I think um, I you know Amanda Waller is always you know I wasn't really I'm not a big fan of um, what they did with her in Arrow. I mean the 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 character is there. Um, it's not the Amanda Waller I you know from the comics I love. Um, but this you know I thought that uh, that Violet Davis was 
pretty uh, pretty intimidating as uh, Amanda Waller, and I think that was a really good introduction of her into this world, especially compared to the Amanda Waller that they introduced in that stupid Green Lantern movie uh, so long ago. So I mean, that's I mean it was it was good. I mean she was a badass. She mur- she murdered her own people for yeah. <laughs> just like knowing the information. She was heartless. Um, and I thought that was just—it was a dead-on, perfect, uh, perfect casting and and good acting job on her part. Yeah. No, yeah. I. Oh, <laughs> you go. No, you go. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, Amanda Amanda Waller to me was one of the best parts of the movie. Um, she was calculating. She was manipulative. Um, that scene where she introduces Enchantress to all the board members, like, that scene is shot insane as it is. Like, when she has... Enchantress has her hands on that desk, and then she turns in... Like, well, June Moon has her hands on the desk and turns into Enchantress. is like, so seamless and just creepy, like the ring or something like that. Um, so all that was, like, really, really uh, cool to me. And, you know, like you said, she killed all of her own men. It didn't matter. Um, we'll talk about the scene at the end. At the end, but you know what I mean. Like I just thought that they did a good job of making her the um, the Nick Fury of this uh, DCEU or whatever you want to call it. Um, so, what one thing that I will? Well, no, never mind. Amanda Waller is great. I'll talk about the other stuff later. <laughs> Clay, uh, I. I thought that was one of the most solid performances in this film, just because, like, you know, uh, uh, what they set her up to be is, like, the real villain, if you think about it. Like, they set her up to be, like, the cause, the root of everything, and she's a ruthless bitch, and she pulls that shit off, like, perfectly. Like, you, there are moments where I'm like, how could you be more evil? And I'm like, (laughs) I'm looking at a movie that's all villains, and I'm looking at the quote-unquote good guy, right, like she's the government, you know, uh, specialist who's like bringing these people together, right, to fight for good in their own way, and she's the most evil son of a bitch in the movie, like, hands down in my opinion, like you could argue that like, you know, sure, like uh, a man, uh, uh, Enchantress, you know, she destroys a city again, but, um, and, and you know, Joker's just pure insanity, but like she kills more people than the Joker does in this film, from what I remember. Um, if I'm thinking right. Yeah, she kills more people than the Joker. Am I wrong about that? Probably not. Um, so she's... I don't know. I think that there's something that's like cool about flipping the roles and being like, oh, if you thought this like you know team of bad guys was bad, check out the person who's running it. She's fucking crazy. And, that's, and that's one of the best things about Suicide Squad, is the fact that... Um, is that you want to you empathize with the villains who are now your anti-heroes, no matter you know throughout the whole thing because Amanda Waller is the bad guy, and that's yeah. actually it's it's funny because that's it's it's how a new Suicide Squad comic starts out the Rebirth one shot starts out with with Obama talking to her, and it's a really funny dialogue between the two of them because it's like how the, like this whole thing can exist behind everybody's back and how she doesn't even exist. So to have that kind of power alone, just like a government a government agent to have that kind of power, but have, as a secret, 
as a secret agency is a scary thing. So, you know, as they always say, don't always think your government's good. <laughs> or has your best interest at heart. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Seeing as this is like, you know, the third city that they destroyed, this time with the help of the government. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We, actually, we should mention what, what city that was. Um, and it was Midway. Um, and that's not really that... Uh, Midway City is not that familiar with most people, but it is in the comics. Um, if you know of the Boom, uh, Doom Patrol uh, headquartered there. Um, Midway City is technically around Chicago area. Um, it's also featured in the Hawkman comics. So yeah. just a little uh, trivia for you, uh, yeah. you guys out there. I think by um, by Justice League, their goal is to destroy all like the big, well-known cities in the DC universe and just start fresh. <laughs> there you go. Partially got rid of Metropolis and uh, potentially all of Gotham, and now uh, now Midway City. Next is uh, everywhere else. That's right. DC. All right, so let's move on to. Let's move on. Let's let's talk a little about the movie, huh? Because I really feel like the beginning of the movie worked really well compared to the end of the movie. I I really feel like I was watching two different movies by the end by the end of the film, and that was uh, that I think that was the biggest problem I had with the film. Yeah, I I think that there's my my biggest issue, um, and I think I've, I've you guys have heard a little bit of this already. Um, the pacing is fucking way just strange and I think it has to do with a lot of like inserted cuts and scenes that would explain certain relationships like I feel like there was a lot more boomerang originally in the film for instance and they just cut a lot of them out that's just the feeling you get from like how the characters react with them um, the beginning it, I feel like it, it got to the point really quick before I even really understood that the Suicide Squad existed they were suddenly, not only did they exist, but, like, they're fighting this calamity. You know what I mean? Like, she's getting them together, and then the next scene is, like, the Enchantress finding her brother. It's that quick. You know what I mean? There's not even, like, a like a pause. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, like, mm-hmm. immediately afterwards. And, like, you're just thrust into it, which is cool with a lot of stuff. Um, you know, with with a, with this kind of film, it works to be thrust into it. But I do feel like there was like a missing scene or two somewhere in that beginning, uh, like that that uh, you know first act, that would have kind of like set you up a little bit more going forward, because all we really get is the introductions and then it's off to the races kind of thing. It's funny because that's that's the number one thing I think that people mention about the film is that there. It's tough to go into these kind of movies without backstory, especially for like a general audience. Um, but everybody says, well, DC is making these movies for the fans, which I can really, really, really start to see in this movie. Um, if you don't know it, if you don't know the source material as well, you're not going to get it as you know as much. You're not going to see these little things that that you know David Ayer goes and does his homework on, but it doesn't translate well because nobody the pacing doesn't work out you know the right way. I mean, I, I, yeah, I agree that they're making it for the fans because there are some things, even in Batman vs. Superman, um, the same way where I was like, this is a movie for DC fans. But then there's DC fans who hate these movies. 
at the same time. And the reason why is because they don't know what the fuck they're doing. It's like they're trying so hard to catch up so that they try to throw so much at you and that it ends up being like a jumbled mess. So like for me, the beginning of this movie is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Like them getting that crew together was like splash page, splash page, splash page. And I was like, this is great. Um, I was like super excited about it. One thing that did not get ruined for me that I was so happy about was like, I did not know that we were going to see that Alex Ross cover come to life with Harley and Joker and seeing her in that outfit. I did not know that. And seeing that to me, I was like, I almost started crying. I was like, this is insane. And calling them the, you know, the crime kings and queens of Gotham and just hearing them talk about Gotham and seeing Batman and seeing all those things, I was like, this is this is it. I want this. And like they took a really long time to get that whole crew together. But then, just like Clay said, it's like you get that crew together and then all of a sudden it's like, bam. Like we're gonna go right into this major threat. What they should have done is did a little threat beforehand. They should have did something where the whole crew is together for the first time and they just even if they're all like fucking like shooting something, like they've never seen each other and immediately they have to go and do this threat, and then, like, scumbag Rick Flagg doesn't tell them that they're fighting this, like, fucking weird ancient evil when they should have also said that. It's like, what, what are you hiding? You know what I mean? And then, like, at the end, oh, we have to protect this person, but it's Amanda Waller? Like, what? Like, why isn't she in, like, Washington? Like, not in the middle of this fucking city. Like, it was just like, but that's the package. I don't know. Like, that whole... I remember the first part of the movie, I loved it. The second part of the movie started to get a little wonky. The jokes were going flatter. I got to watch Will Smith be Will Smith for like five minutes at a time. And it just kind of throws me out. And then the third act turns into a shitty 80s, 90s movie where one-liner is like, oh, her heart's explode. We can kill her now. And don't mess with my friends, buddies. And I was like, Harley, what the fuck? So that <laughs> stuff killed me. Go on. That's, that's, I guess, that is probably the best way to explain it. Um, it became, it went from perfect to, like, jumbled mess. And I don't, I don't understand how a movie can, ev- can just, ha- it can just evolve like that. Like, what makes that happen? Does it... Studios involvement. Does, right. But also, I mean, it's also the writing. I mean, like, I don't understand, like, because... Is there more to this film that would make it make more sense? I don't know. I really, in my opinion, the whole threat of the Enchantress was almost too much for this kind of film. These these kind of villains, like these kind of antiheroes, are very grounded. And even like John Ostrander watched the movie, he said he liked it, but he says, you know, I never, I never wrote Suicide Squad movie or Suicide Squad stories where they had to go take care of this world-ending threat. It was never my point of the stories. It's either a political threat, or it's like we gotta go storm this like base, um, you know, like the raid style, um, or you know they gotta take on this other team of supervillains. So I just felt like, and I, I'm, I'm gonna say this as well: the Enchantress and her brother is a plot point as well in in a Suicide Squad story. But I mean, it is from the comics, but it's only a two-issue arc. It's not something like as crazy it is as it is in this in this movie. And I really felt like it was a wasted opportunity um, 
and they should have maybe this the Enchantress would have been a be- better villain in like a Justice Dark movie, like a Justice Dark uh, Justice League Dark movie, or like um, like a Constantine movie or something like that, where it makes more sense for um, magic users to fight him than it does um, these characters. That's why I think Assault in Arkham works so well. It's it's a heist movie, um, and it, they're all working together with their sp- specific skills, and it makes sense because they're not overpowered by this by this evil um, witch or whatever. Yeah, uh, I think w- what you were saying earlier about, you know, just briefly about, like, the studio interference, I heard whether how much of this is true, I don't know, but, the, you know, the script was rushed in six weeks. Yeah. And, you know, for a film that carries this much and is like this, like, connective tissue in this universe, that is a ballsy thing to push out. You don't want to push out a film like that. And, like, I think you can see it because there's stuff that you can see that there's, like, build-ups and then there's, like, this, like, small payoff. But, like, had the script been polished or had, like, the had the, you know, original idea been used or had the thing not been, you know, had the script not been finished in post-production, you would have seen a better payoff, you know. Um, And so much so that, like, I walked out and I was like, I want to see the original version of this film because there's so much good in this film that I really think was just, like, underutilized or, like, you know, WB got fucking cold feet and were afraid to do some of the riskier things that would have made this film stand out in like the wave of superhero films that we're getting now like there's I was at my job today and they sell a uh, novelization of Suicide Squad right which novelizations of movies I never even look at because it's just, you know, silly. But I was so intrigued because I'm like, well, obviously this is based on the original vision of the film. It has to be because there's no way in the last, like, few weeks of editing or few months or whatever of editing that he could have pulled together this book. It's written by Marv Wolfman, who's a phenomenal writer. So I looked through it, just, like, skimmed a little bit, and I almost want to pick it up and read it because it is the original vision. Like, the things I've heard about, like, it was supposed to open with June Moon, you know, in the Amazon or wherever she was, finding, you know, this Enchantress stuff. It was, that was supposed to be a real-time, like, scene, not, like, a flashback, right? And that's how the book opens. The book opens with her, like you know, trekking through the Amazon, finding this power. And I think that that would have been a really cool opener. And, like, there are so many different aspects. Like, um, again, I flipped through it, so there are very small things that I picked up from here and there. But, like, the scene between the Joker and the Commons character was a lot more intense and was just um, really cool. So because of that, it's like, I don't want them to do this with every film, but I almost want to see the director's cut of this film. I want to see the, you know, the the like they did with the Richard Donner um, Superman. I want to see, you know, the David Ayer Suicide Squad because that's obviously where the heart and soul of this film is, and it got ripped out by, you know, executives afraid to do, you know, bad business after Batman vs Superman. Oh, I, t- I totally agree. Um, and actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because I might have to go and look for that. Because, you know, the whole thing about the Enchantress, and uh, before we go to break, uh, I'm going to bring this up. The Enchantress was an original Suicide Squad character. And, what, and she's like, she's treated in this, you know, it's very cool 
like Casey mentioned about the whole scene where she's brought into the go like the government office and they do that whole thing and she's able to go steal the the the, the top secret documents and yeah that's that's awesome but at the same time she's also just used as a plot device um, with the whole Rick Flag thing too so it's just like it's forced without and this whole relationship's forced and um, I I just I just couldn't get into it so I think that if they could have made her a little bit more prominent at the beginning of the film, like you say, with it, you know, here we're introducing the idea of the major threat already, and then we're going to go into the team, and then the whole the whole thing is going to go down. I, the structure was funny, the editing was funny, and like you said, a, a director's cut might remedy that, but I guess I guess time will tell on that. Uh, but I think this is a good point to take a break, and we'll go to some commercials. All this top 40 music is so boring. Jeez, I sure wish I had something geeky to listen to. Well, I've got just the thing for you, stranger. Who are you and how did you get in my house? Don't even worry about that. If you're looking for the latest, greatest, and geekiest podcasts around, you should check out Those Geeks You Know. Those Geeks You Know? Wow! Three friends talking about comic books, movies, TV shows, all the things that I geek out about. But seriously, you gotta leave now. Be sure to check out Those Geeks You Know on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter and tell everybody that you know. You, you gotta leave. I called the cops. There the bugger is. She's a big one, ain't she? Oi! Over 20 points of articulation, great sculpting, and look at the paint job on her. We've been looking all over for this one. Let's get them in our sights and end this hunt now. All right. All right. Steady. Steady now. Got him! It's the pursuit of plastic. Listen to the podcast from the creators of Don'tForgetAtowl.com, geek out about toy news, hunting, and histories on your favorite collectibles. I'm Chris. And I'm Casey from Gourmet Scum Radio. We're two cousins talking about geeky pop culture stuff. You a fan of television, music, and movies of the 80s? <laughs> well, we are too. Do you like being transported to galaxies far, far away and the threat of troglodytes that go boom in the night? Well, we're going to geek out about it. Have you ever scared yourself listening to ska music while reading a comic book and sipping on a tasty Jones soda? Then this is the podcast for you! Gourmet Scum Radio is here to tickle your holes and make you believe in dynamite explosions right again! Make sure to check us out on Stitcher and iTunes. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter and check out our website at don'tforgetatowel.com. You won't regret it! Hey, and we're back. Uh, we're talking about Suicide Squad. Uh, this, is, and we're going to go back to the characters now. We just kind of touched on the uh, Enchantress and Rick Flag relationship, and how it was kind of. I feel it's kind of forced. Let's talk about Rick Flag a little bit in the movie. Um, he's really, <laughs> he is the guy who's forced into not forced. He's a soldier, so yeah, he's forced. But um, to he lead, signed up for it. He signed up for it. So really, he's got to take whatever uh, comes his way. And, you know, it's kind of spoken about in the movie. He makes a point of that, actually, uh, with Deadshot a few times. But he's the guy who's supposed to keep these guys in check. 
um, in the comics, uh, I you know I've always found him to be kind of more of a a much more noble person. Um, in this well, movie, like Steve Trevor, right? He's very he's he's like Steve Trevor. Um, he's he's he doesn't always agree with Amanda Waller, but he has to do what she says. You know, like we said, he's a soldier. So, but in this movie, I I really I really don't know how I felt about the way they portrayed him. Um, he was emotionally attached to Enchantress. Uh, it was, I guess, it was, it was a kind of the plot device with him and Will Smith that eventually that Will, you know, Deadshot finds out that he's lying to everybody. So, what do you what do you guys think about Rick Flag? Do you think that he was really the leader, or they, he just kind of took the backseat because they had to, you know, push Deadshot into that role? I think, as <laughs> I think he was a completely forgettable character. I mean, they literally could have filled him in with someone who had less dialogue, had less of an intensive purpose, and just served as, like, a handler. I mean, that's kind of what they put him as, but I'm saying, like, they tried to make him an integral part of the storyline, and really, like, he didn't need to be. I can't think of, like, a good... Like, I'm trying to think of a scene that stands out as, like, a, a scene like a Rick Flag scene where I was like, man, and even the scene where we get his like pity party story about how he loves June, like all these people are about to die. And he's like, but I love her. And seemingly he just met her. I'm sorry, but like it seems the way the movie plays it, it's, he's, this is like a, a two-month-old relationship. Um, but like it's it just completely forgettable. They didn't – I know Rick Flag is an integral part of, of Suicide Squad, but – the character either they need to build a bigger, better, bigger character for him, or just fucking cut him out of the movie. It's not important. He's he's huge in the Suicide Squad comics. I mean, it goes back to the original one from the fifties, like his father and stuff like that. It's like it's it's generational Suicide Squad for the Flag family. And in this movie, I just felt like he was such an underplayed character, and just like it was just like this. He was like a henchman to. To Amanda Waller, and then he was just too way too whiny about the whole June thing. Yeah. Like you said. Um, originally, Tom Hardy was up for the role, and he declined it because he had to do something more important, I'm sure. Um, would that have served better than Joel Kinnaman, who he was okay in RoboCop, and I love him in The Killing, but in both, he kind of plays like a scumbag. Just I don't know if it's just his face or whatever. He kind of seems like a scumbag in this movie too. What did you guys think if Tom Hardy would have been in the role instead? Uh, I think we would have had two Tom Hardys on screen with Captain Boomerang. It would have been confusing. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, they're basically like, hey, dude, uh, you know, play like Tom Hardy as Captain Boomerang. There you go. And they just got Jay Courtney to play fucking Tom Hardy. Yeah, Jay. Did you get, well, I was going to ask if you like Jay Courtney. I I like I liked him. I like I like Captain Boomerang as a character uh, in general. I thought that he played it definitely over the top. I heard that he did shrooms to prepare for the role. <laughs> I mean, he was he was funny because it was like Boomerang is not he is not a, like a respectable human being, but it's funny because he always takes uh, and this is something that goes back to the comics, he'll always take the opportunity to abandon the team. But he always comes back like a boomerang. So it's like, it's very much a play on words for like the character himself. Because he's just a piece of shit. 
Yeah, I mean, like, that's, that's like, a running joke with Captain Boomerang is that every, like, the villains fucking hate Captain Boomerang. Like, everyone <laughs> hates Captain Boomerang. Like, he's the piece of shit that, like, it's not even, like, that he's, like, the, uh, the you know, kills children. It's just, like, he's an asshole and no one likes really being around him. And I think that the, he played that role well. Um, and there was, like, one scene um, when they're doing the fight scene he, you know, the whole slow motion uh, unicorn shot. Like, that... <laughs> That was funny. Like some of his like his like his body language and like what he was doing with his face and everything. I was like, that is a those are comic shots. That looks just like it was ripped out of a comic. You know what I mean? Like those if you if you freeze frame his facial like like his his, his expressions as he's fighting those people. I'm like, that's a comic. That's awesome. I think I think it's important with the with a cast of this size um, doing a T movie that a you know. A classic character like Boomerang, who's been around since the beginning of the Suicide Squad, felt like he was part of the team. He felt very well uh, featured in the movie, and that um, you know, at, by the end of the by the end of the day, I'm happy with the way they that uh, uh, Jack Courtney uh, you know portrayed him. So he was fine. I didn't really give a shit personally. I didn't think that they gave him enough funny material. I thought that he was funnier in the trailers and just because those trails are shot beautifully, or cut beautifully, rather. But to me, I, I don't know. I don't know if I expected more out of Captain Boomerang or what, but he uses Boomerang to, like, kill one dude, stop that one dude at the beginning when he was bank robbing, and then do the surveillance um, another time. Like, I wanted to see, like, more Boomerang shit, and yet again, same thing with Deadshot. Do some cool shit with your boomerang. That's why you have them. They're like deadly boomerangs. Ugh, didn't like that. Let's see who's up next here. We have. Uh, I know who we can talk about. Let's talk about Scott Eastwood. <laughs> GQ. GQ. And um, so there's a lot of. Um, there was a lot of hype going to this movie. Who his character was. And you know why we didn't know who it was? Because it didn't matter, because he was just some piece of shit army guy. So there was rumors that he was going to be uh, Dick Grayson Nightwing. Uh, there was rumors that he was going to be uh, um, um, Deathstroke. Oh, Deathstroke. Yeah, they said Deathstroke too. But, I mean, it's funny how somebody, like, you know, who's a prominent actor, I guess you can say in a way, uh, Ends up just being, uh, I guess, a, a lackey uh, for Rick Flag. Yeah, I I had read in the you know in the reviews that hey, by the way, just so you know, he's nobody. And I thought that they were kind of joking around, um, but nope, nope. Lo and behold, he is nobody at all. Um, I don't know. You know, we thought, oh, hey, GQ must be in Grayson, must be. Quincy Grace, I don't, I don't know what we thought, but wasn't uh, whatever we thought wasn't, wasn't it? Um, and he ended up blowing up, presumably at the end, so we'll never see him again. Um, so yeah, okay, that's that's him. I think we lost Clay. I'm gonna try to get him back. Uh, so let's move on to the next person, I guess. This is truly the Suicide Squad. People yeah, no, Clay's in the Suicide off. Squad. <laughs> Hey, sorry about that. I don't know what happened. My computer like nuked itself. Uh, your I head think bomb? you're yeah. Your head bomb. 
Exactly. Amanda Waller pushed the switch. <laughs> All right, what's next? Uh, we're gonna let's. I want to talk about a little this weird cameo. Uh, not cameo, by, but by Katana. Character. Yeah, let's talk about Katana first. Um, I know you have little little issues about this. You know, I I do and I don't. My my thing about it is, I think it's we're taking a little step in the DC movie universe. We're taking a future step where characters from like the Batman world have already been established, so she's there, um, whether she was part of the Outsiders or not, if that even exists in this world. Um, to have your comic book character as your backup, I thought that was kind of cool. I know that they didn't really uh, use her well. Um, she was a badass in the movie, but um, what do you think, Casey? I know you uh, you have some things to say about it. As I read your notes. Yeah, you did read my notes. So <laughs> my notes wrote, why are you in this film? <laughs> why even mention the soul sword, but not go into it other than show your husband's crying face? And where is that scene where you hold up the soul sword and souls actually get sucked into it? Like, for me personally, I think Katana's the sweetest character. She was completely useless and not needed in this movie. And it was a goddamn shame because I think she could have done some really cool things. Um, I, I don't know. I don't even really know what else to say. Like, I feel kind of bad for that actress. Like, also, all of her lines were in whatever, Japanese. I don't want to, like, disgrace this woman's heritage. I don't know exactly what language she was speaking, but she didn't say anything in English either. So I was just like, I don't, you know, I'm sorry. I wish you would have been in the movie more. I uh, really would have liked to see your soul sword suck souls, but since you were fighting globule monsters, that's an impossibility anyway. Clay? Yeah, okay, so I agree entirely with that. I think that, it, again, that's one of those characters, just like Captain Boomerang, where I'm like, I'm sure that you would have actually had, like, a scene in there that explains everything. But they, but they never did, never that. did that. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much so more much. that... <laughs> I think the Enchantress has taken over Clay. Yeah, uh, I've been possessed. You gotta unplug your one thing. <laughs> yeah, you're on two different tracks right now. My phone is taking over my computer, apparently. You're on your phone, you're on this thing. Sorry, everybody, for Clay. Yeah, yeah, I, I apologize. apologize. I'm bad at myself. Michael. Um, Enchantress. Oh, hey, why does Enchantress say Enchantress while she's sleeping? Hey, uh, you, you talk in your sleep, don't you? Clockwise. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I really, this is why I'm kind of up and down about um, David Iyer's writing. I, I don't know if, I don't think he had any help. I think that maybe, uh, he should have called John Astronter and uh, got some advice on not just copying plot device, like plot lines from his comics, but maybe, you know, hey, do you want to help me write this movie? This is another case of the, you know what I mean? Like, does every time does somebody who writes comics need to make a movie? 
we saw that with Alan Taylor for Thor The Dark World. Thor The Dark World arguably is one of the worst Marvel movies. It's not horrible as far as a movie goes, but compared to the rest of the Marvel movies, he wrote it, and it's kind of one of the worst ones, and he is a really good comic book writer. Um, so I'm, I'm not really saying, like, I like David Ayer movies. I like Fury. I like Training Day. I like fucking uh, End of Watch a lot. Like, he's a good writer. He's a very good director, but, you know, there's just some things in this movie that it's like, like, what were you thinking? You know what I mean? Like there's, there's parts where I applaud that DC went full mystic, like Enchantress being in this movie and being the bad guy. I was like, wow, that's ballsy. Like that nobody has ever seen magic before in the DCU and you're going to throw it in this movie. Okay, sure, man, go right ahead. And I, I was okay with it. But then at the same time, it's like when this movie breaks down to being wild wild west meets ghostbusters there's a problem <laughs> and it's not as funny as ghostbusters anyway wild wild west is horrible so it took all the worst things from wild wild west and all the <laughs> worst parts of ghostbusters and it made it into a movie and and like that's where the problem is for me that's that's actually a really good uh, analysis right there i think yeah it just uh it kind of kind of breaks down to to being kind of weird, um, but uh, I feel like we're missing somebody. We're missing like the big ones. Um, I mean, El Diablo. It was oh uh, yeah, El Diablo. El Diablo was a great. It was a great uh, super powered character. It was it was cool to see him brought into it. I feel like his backstory. You know, it it did. It did play its part, but at the by the end by the end battle, it was it got goofy. Like, like I didn't mind his final form, and it it played well with like him fighting the Enchantress's brother. Um, but at times I just felt like it was dragging out. Um, that that part of the film, like they're all sitting in the bar, they're all feeling sorry for themselves. Um, that was a weird scene. I felt it was kind of like. I, it was a weird Completely scene. Completely weird scene. It was a very weird scene. It was like you're 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 progressing the movie very quickly. Um, you're moving. You're going. You went through this. You're going through the building like raid style. You're fighting these like these Last of Us monsters, you know. And then all of a sudden you're going towards the final boss, and you stop to have a drink. And all of a sudden you would expect it to have like good dialogue, but it's like it's very off, and it's not. It's just like, why does this scene exist? Yeah, absolutely. This the scene was like out of left field, and you know we saw it in the trailers, and and actually like the line where like Harley goes to um, Diablo and talks about how like how he should have a water, like that was cut out of it. Like I thought that was going to be in there too, but um, it was a, it was a it was really unneeded, and it further. I hate to I hate to do this because I know that studios budget and we talked about it, I think in our last episode for doing reshoots. This makes me worried about Rogue One. They couldn't be completely different movies, completely different studios, but when you go and tell me that you did reshoots to make things like more funny or to change the plot or whatever, and then we know that there's extensive reshoots in Rogue One. What the fuck was so messed up about that movie that you had to go and completely screw up the pacing? 
You know what I mean? And I, I, it kind of makes me put my um, Rogue One podcast down. <laughs> I mean, we we shouldn't really talk about Rogue One until it actually happens. Yeah, I, I know, I know, I know. I'm I sorry. mean, I'm sure it it won't. I'm be... getting off topic. No, no. I mean, it's it's not really off topic when you talk about um when you talk about uh the studios going and interfering. But I I do trust Disney uh, a lot more than I trust Warner Brothers at this point. Um. But you know, I these these characters are all thrown together, and I thought the chemistry was decent. Um, but you know, like we said, the dialogue didn't help sometimes. So uh, you know, whatever. I so with El Diablo, it was cool to see the powers work. Um, it was it was cool to see a metahuman, like I said, of of that kind of of that caliber. And I'm hoping that we'll see uh we'll see more of that eventually, like with ice balls oh, and stuff. Not that so. one. <laughs> no, seeing that one, but um, like ice villains and stuff, so it'll be cool. Um, you guys ready to talk about some Harley and Joker? Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's I think it's about time. Um, let's start off with uh, Margot Robbie. Let's talk about Harley Quinn because, uh, you know, the Joker in this film was definitely not featured. Uh, he was there as a uh, he was definitely a background character. It was it was the really the First introduction of him into this universe, besides like um, we know that he exists already within the Batman universe. We don't need to know like everything about his relationship with Batman, except that you know he killed Robin. Um, but we'll we'll see that eventually, and maybe what is the Batman prequel movie, um, or or you know whatever. Maybe it's set in real time. So, what do you guys think about Margot Robbie? Well. I, I thought she did a, a pretty decent job with with Harley Quinn. There were parts that were you know a little weird for me. I remember when the trailer first came out, I was really really pissed off that she her her accent wasn't there. And I think I mean that's a I mean if you know the history of the character, that's a huge part of the character. I mean the character wouldn't exist without the voice talents of Arlene Sorkin. You know what I mean? Like it literally they created the character based yep. on her performance as a henchwoman. So, like, that's a pretty fucking important part of the character, and to not have that in the trailer got me really nervous because, you know, we'd already seen the Joker's character design, and that was already nerve-wracking, and then we had this. And, like, I'm not 100% sold on her costume in this. I don't hate it. I was never a huge fan of, like, the New 52-like design, but, like, I understand that, like, as much as I loved that, you know, the Alex Ross painting scene, which was, like, I, like you said, like, I almost cried. Like, there was that moment where you, you get yeah. giddy. You become a child in the studio, and you're like, oh, my God, they fucking did it. They finally did it. You know what I mean? We got to see that something that's so important. And it, you know, that being what it was, it was a little weird looking, and I can understand why they wouldn't use that costume the entire film, oh, right? Yeah. Like, it was good for those moments, and that costume the whole entire film would look ridiculous. So I get that. Not a huge fan of this costume, but I think her performance comes through, and, like, the accent comes through every once in a while. It's not as, like, distinguished as, you know, Arlene Sorkin's or even Tara Strong's, but, like, it's there. Um, and I think she does a fine job. I mean, she's, she ends up being a, a punchline a lot of times, and there are some really, like, with the whole film, some jokes that aren't quite aren't good, just fucking say it, um, 
There's one about like killer app. I was just like, who fucking thought that up? Who thought that? that w- How did that get this far in the process? Like there wasn't a second take. Like seriously, like that's it. Um, <laughs> and then like the it was like a little like cheesy. The whole like katana fucking thing with her, where she's like, should I kill her? And she, you know, talks to her and she's like, she seems real nice. Like that was a little like cheesy. Mostly on Katana's part, but, like, it was cheesy. Um, but generally speaking, I think she did a pretty decent job. Um, there was a weird character break with the Diablo, like, fucking own it! I was like, where the hell is this coming from? Like, you haven't given a shit about anything this whole movie except for the Joker, and now suddenly you care about this guy? Like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I will touch upon the negative before I go into the positive. The negative was that line where she's like, I think we already said it, where she was like, these are my friends. But before that, you had just said, and I actually was very happy that she said it, it was like, where Enchantress is like, come to me, you know, be with me, let's rule the world. And and Harley's like, all right. And then everyone's like, what are you doing? And she goes, this world doesn't give a shit about us. We're the losers. Why wouldn't I go with her? And I was like, you're fucking right. You would. You wouldn't have this... Uh, dead shot, like, oh man, like, you know, we should be saving the world. No, you don't care about this world. This world shit on you. And then at the end of the movie, I was actually very happy that they all ended up in jail again because they would. You know what I mean? And Amanda Waller was like, you get t- 10 years off your triple life sentence. <laughs> like, like those kind of things. I was like, that's because that's what you guys are. You're the suicide squad, your task force X. You are pieces of shit. You're expendable. If you blow up, we'll find other ones like you. Um, but anywho, but as far as Harley goes, like um, the costume never bothered me. Only maybe because I think Margot Robbie's hot as fuck, and like that's fine. Um, I love the mallet that they showed, even though she didn't use it. I love the bat. I thought that was funny. I like the little Joker accessories. I love that dancing scene. <laughs> um, like I. This is my perspective, and you guys can tell me what you think. Because it plays into the Joker as well. I think that this whole Harley situation is Harley's arc. Like, everything about it is how she turns from Harley and Quinzel into Harley. And Joker, in this, in her version, in her head, and we see it in her dream sequence, she wants that perfect life. Her version of the Joker is that he treats her like gold, that he loves her, that he'll do anything for her. And I bet you if we saw the other side from the Joker, he would be beating the shit out of her. And he would be the one who threw her into the acid, etc., etc. I think we saw what is, is Harley's mind of what the Joker is. Because that's a major complaint is Harley and Joker's relationship. It's not abusive. Yeah, even though people still you know, say that, oh, it's too abusive, but, you know, the, the hardcore fans, like, this this relationship between them was not in the comics. It's not in the in the cartoon. Like, he is slapping her around and, you know, treating her like garbage. And in this one, everything was, I love you. I will kill anyone who gets in my way. I can't live with you. I'm going to surround myself with baby clothes. Like, everything was, like, fucking, like, he was all about her. And I think that that was mostly told from the mind of Harley. Um, And for that, even though it was different, and I heard also Paul Denny said the same thing, 
Like, I loved their relationship in this movie. And I, I thought that that Joker, for me, is the best on-screen Joker that we've seen in cinema. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that I've, I actually never thought about it that way. Um, and it would be really interesting if in the Batman movie we see something completely different from the Joker. Um, because I really did feel like this was more, and I've read this online, this was more like a Romeo and Juliet, like Joker and Harley Quinn. It was like, it was definitely a weird love story, and I think that's what threw me off so much. And I, I actually went from liking it to not liking it to liking it. Overall, it was good. Um, and I well, it's great to see it on the big screen, and I think they treated it with um, as much respect as they could. For me, this Joker is definitely the best Joker we've seen um, representation of the psychotic Joker, um, you know, the one that we know from the comics. At the same time, I'm not totally sold on it. I want to see, like I said, he played a background character. He played maybe this alternate version of the Joker that she sees, um, and maybe that's why it feels so weird to me. But to me, yeah, he was he was crazy. He was sadistic. Um, but at the same time, um, I think that we're still not there yet. I, I really like, I mean, you know, I, I spoke earlier about my qualms with the character design. I still, still to this day, think that the tattoos were excessive and just ridiculous. Um, but, like, it, it, as far as performance goes, I think he does a phenomenal job. And, like, and you guys are saying that this is the best on-screen Joker, and I agree that it's the most, like, arguably the most comic accurate Joker. You know what I mean? Like, this is the Joker that I genuinely believe is insane. Like, Heath Ledger's is the anarchist. You know, um, Jack Nicholson's is, like, the mobster. Um, And, like, one thing I really like about that, though, is that, like, you know, Grant Morrison's interpretation of the Joker is this, like, fractured psyche that's constantly mending and reforming and creating different personas based off of that, right? That's why, you know, in his own words, why we have, like, the, you know, uh, cheap, corny, like, I'm not really going to hurt anyone, I'm just going to be a pain in your ass Joker in, like, the golden age, and then he becomes, like, a mobster, and then he becomes, like, full-on fucking batshit nuts, and then we get, like, you know, the Snyder, like, the New 52 kind of stuff where he's, like, like a, like a serial killer, like, you know, like Jason Voorhees, like, slasher villain. You know what I mean? Like, and it's insane, and they're all different interpretations of this character and this psyche. So I think that this is the most comic accurate, but I still think that if we're looking at film interpretations, I think Heath Ledger's was still, in my opinion, it's still, like, the ballsiest and, like, the most, like, innovative. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, this plays it a little close to the to the vest, right? Like, he, he did a good job, and he made it his own, but he still made it really comic accurate, which is good. I'm not, you know, saying that that's a shitty thing he did. Heath Ledger's performance was, like, I'm going to make something fucking new, and you're never, you're like, this is a Joker you've never seen. Like, all those cheesy ha-he-ha-ho-ho's from the comics, I'm literally going to take this weird ironic spin and go ha-he-ha-ho, and, like, build this creepy, weird, like, you don't know what the fuck he's doing character. That being said, this one, you don't know what the fuck he's doing from one moment to the next. This Joker is fucking solid in that he's absolutely batshit insane. No pun intended. <laughs> for for the story that was told 
in The Dark Knight being a more realistic, grounded story and one that I don't even think has anything to do with Batman other than they put that man in that suit and that <laughs> Joker in that outfit. And I will say that till the day that I die. As much as I love The Dark Knight, those are not Batman movies. Those are just dudes in suit movies. Um, Elseworlds. Elseworlds, by all accounts. <laughs> this is a story that has the Joker and Harley in it. Heath Ledger's Joker couldn't be with this Harley. Never. In a million years. So for this story to play out, we needed comic-accurate Joker. Yep. Regardless of the fact that the other Joker, you know, you can defend it, and that's fine, and I'm not going to disagree that Heath Ledger is an amazing actor, and he's the reason why that movie works so good, other than the direction and the soundtrack and all the other awesome shit. But, like, this, this Joker for me is Paul Denny's Joker. It is Arkham Knight's Joker. It is All-Star Batman Frank Miller's Joker. It is Dark Knight Returns Joker. Like, there's so many different Jokers to me that this Joker is that I've been waiting to see. Like, don't get me wrong. I love Cesar Romero. I think Jack Nicholson was playing Cesar Romero in a, in a broader sense that only Jack Nicholson can play. Like, Jack Nicholson plays Jack Nicholson like Will Smith plays Will Smith. Heath Ledger is a bit of more of a chameleon, as well as Jared Leto. The dude can go from 90 to 300 pounds in between movies and then win an Oscar because of it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he is a chameleon. This is the Joker that I wanted. This is the, I wanted a Joker that people were afraid of. I wanted a Joker who doesn't hold contest to recruit. It's a Joker that people go, holy fuck, I want to work for that guy because that guy owns Gotham. Unlike Heath Ledger, who makes people like bash their heads in into a into a pencil to fight, you know what I mean, to be with him because he's so fucking out there. Like this Joker is one who could amass amounts of money and do all the stupid, crazy tricks. Was he a funny Joker? Not really. I mean, when he laughed, it was like this is there's no laugh. This is laughing at a funeral. Like you shouldn't be laughing right now. But for the story that David Ayer presented with Harley. In, in being it more of her arc than Joker's arc, I I would love to see more of this Joker. And if they do a director's Joker a cut edition, I'll watch it, of course. But I think that these two are better suited for a Batman solo film where the Joker goes, I got Two-Face, I got Penguin, I got Killer Croc, I got these people. And basically he plays Bane for Nightfall and throws them all at Batman by you know, psychologically and physically destroying Batman and coming in fucking with him. That's my fine story. You would, I, I also think it's like what you had mentioned about like his henchmen. I mean, it was like this is the first time we see like these goofy ass henchmen in like suits, like the Panda Man and like whatever the Batman. the Batman one. It was just like it was so weird and it was it was unnerving. I will put. Um, Jared Leto's Joker is unnerving, um, and at the same, it was it was weird to have him introduced in this movie. And it, like I said, um, but it had to happen to really make the Harley Quinn story work. So I, I really, I really want, I don't, I don't want to make a full judgment on it until I watch the Batman movie with him going full balls to the wall, Joker in that movie as the, you know, you know, he's just as much as the main character as Batman is in a in 
would be in the movie itself, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I agree completely with you guys, especially like, you know, like you were saying, Heath Ledger's Joker could never have a Harley, it just wouldn't work, and this one has more longevity that way, right? Like, Heath Ledger's Joker could work for, like, you know, the film, and, you know, if they could even work for two films, but, like, if you want a Joker that's going to stay a character in this universe... Like, this is the Joker to do that because there's so much you can do with him. He's so versatile. And, like, he's, like I said, you don't, like, the whole time you're watching him, you're like, what the fuck is this guy going to do next? Like, this is the first time I've genuinely felt that way. Yeah. About, you know, like, you know the general idea for, like, Heath Ledger. But, like, this Joker, you're like, I, like, that whole scene with Common, right? Where you're like, what the fuck is the right answer? Like, you're sitting there in the audience going, I don't know what the fuck the right answer is. Like, what do we do? You know what I mean? You have that panic with him. So it's like, I, I really loved his performance. It was definitely novel, and I don't think anyone else could pull it off the same way he did. Yeah. Exactly. Perfect. So, yeah, let's just wait for the announcement for, uh, for Ben Affleck's... Uh, Batman movie and where the Joker will be prominently uh, featured. So can't wait. Uh, let's let's uh, let's move on to a little bit more of. You have something here, a redditor, because we mentioned this before of, of scenes not being shown in the movie. So somebody's actually suing WB because the trailer <laughs> showed stuff that's not in the film. Uh, elaborate on that a little bit. Fucking. No, there, there's no way that that's... I mean, it's going to be laughed out of court. I mean, how many right. films do that? They just point to, like, any film ever. You know how many times I've watched a trailer and, like, gone to the film and been like, oh, yeah, that seems not in it. Like, you just get used to it. So the fact that this guy's claiming, like, oh, well, I drove really far to get this ticket and, like, I went and paid money specifically to see those scenes. Fucking bullshit. Like, you went to see the movie. You just were really excited about the Joker scenes. And that's just silly. That's silly. That's just silly. What are what are we missing from from the from the trailer that was you know featured with the Joker? We talked about it, like Katana's sword. That was kind of a big thing. But what's missing with the Joker? Well, I, I can't place it right now. If if you read what he says, okay, I'm gonna completely agree with the fact that he's probably going to get laughed out of court. His brother is a lawyer and. Maybe they're going to form a case or whatever. It's supposed to get looked at on the 11th, um, so in a couple of days. But he does cite specific instances where we see the Joker, like that scene where he, like his face is like burned off, like kind of, and he like throws a grenade or whatever, and it looks like Endgame Joker. Um, and there's like uh, I think another scene where he's like, I want to play with these toys or something like that, and he doesn't get to do it. Whatever. There's like there is different instances. And what he says is it's like going up to a menu at McDonald's and saying, you know, I'll take a Big Mac and you see cheese in the Big Mac and then you get the Big Mac and there's no cheese on it. You know what I mean? I ordered the Big Mac based off the picture, which has cheese on it. I'll be honest with you. He's kind of right. You know what I mean? Like at first I was like, what a douchebag. And then I really thought about it all the time throughout years and years and years of watching trailers and seeing scenes in trailers and laughing at those scenes, usually with comedies, and then not seeing it when the movie and you expected to see that scene. Like um, I remember, even though this would never happen, but watching Starship Troopers, you hear Song 2 by Blur. You expect to go see Song 2 by Blur in Starship Troopers, and it's not in there. I remember that's, like, my biggest example, but, like, 
if you thought that you were going to see Joker scenes and you didn't see them, and yes, a lot of things get cut, thrown on the cutting room floor, well then don't put them in the trailers. Yeah. He's got a point there. Well, and here's the thing, though, and I would agree with that. If these weren't, like, if the trailers weren't shipped off to other companies, like, they just get the basic, they get all the, the original cut footage, and they pay someone else to make a trailer. Like if it was yeah, a they do. trailer made in-house, and they were like, this is the film, we're only going to cut from the film stuff, that's its own thing, right? Because then you could be like, well, they obviously knew that this wasn't going to make the cut in the film, and so they, you know, used a piece that they knew wasn't in the film to entice people to come in. But what they're doing is they're, they're he's predicating this, like, trailer fiasco on the fact that they purposely went we're going to show you a scene that we know we're going to take out of the film and I'm sure especially with what I've heard about the late stage cuts and stuff they had no idea in fact there were two opposing cuts that they aired uh, or that they screened rather and how much you want to bet it was in Ayer's version and it just didn't make it in the studio version and the studio version is the one we went with so maybe they thought that it was going to be Ayer's so like they I don't know. I think, I think it's not fair to put that on the studio because, that, like I said, that happens all the time. And I get that it's the Joker, and you really want that, but that's a stupid studio decision. That's not something like, that's not false advertising. You know what I mean? Just to clarify, Ayer has said that the cut that's out in theaters is Ayer's version, not the studio version. Mm-hmm. I just thought I'd throw that out there. But um, and I completely agree because I understand what editing's like and you do cut things last minute because of timing and pacing and what the audience responds to, etc. But the problem is, is like, you also have a point. (laughs) If I thought that I was going to see that scene and it's not in the movie, then fuck you for not showing it to me because that's what got me into the theater. That's That's why I saw the trailer. I saw the trailer, that's what you presented to me, so I went to the movie based off that trailer. Exactly, and that's and that's that's kind of like contradicting like what you said about audience reaction, because that's we're reacting to these trailers, we're loving these trailers. Why are you going to take anything out of them? Because it's like it doesn't make any sense, especially if it's a, like scenes that involve the Joker. Like that, people are definitely going to this movie to see the Joker because <laughs> most people don't even know what Suicide Squad is. It's like I made that joke, like people aren't going to go see you, Will Smith, in this movie, you know. But you know, Deadshot is a is is the main character of Suicide Squad all the time, period. Um, but at the same time, DC movie, you see the Joker in a trailer, it equals Joker. So it's it's like bait, either bait and switch or whatever you want to call it, or clickbait if you want to put it yeah, that. If you went and said Scott Eastman is Nightwing in Suicide Squad. I would read that article and then go on to say, well, it would be really cool if he was that. And it would be like, why the fuck did I just read this article? Like, I get it, and I think we all are pretty intelligent enough to know that, like, studios don't do exactly what they present to us. But I wouldn't be surprised if this kind of makes enough of a, of a, you know, wave that maybe they do change the way that they cut these trailers or something. I mean, if it becomes, like, a class action... I yeah, see I could see it happening. A lot of people getting burned, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people who've been burned by this kind of stuff, and it, it, overarching, it could be like a whole 
thing. It could be multiple studios wide. It could be like all these films that you have promised things and you've changed it, like down to like changing the color of the ending scenes in Fantastic Four. You know, what <coughs> I mean? like those those kind of things. Like if you want to go that far, you could. It, I could see it picking up pace, is what I'm saying. If it were a class action, or if a lot of people got involved, but this yep. one person, it's, it feels a little like. It's like yeah, one it feels silly. Really angry. You know right. what I mean? That's what it is. But we'll find out what happens on August 11th, I guess. Right. So, <laughs> uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the soundtrack. Um, the soundtrack. Let's let me put it this way. In the 90s, soundtracks were made for movies, and I remember distinctly buying many a soundtracks that either like were major tie-ins to the movie. Songs were actually made for the movie. Highlander. Stuff like that. There's just... yeah. <laughs> that, going back to the, to the greatest <laughs> one of all time. Um, but, like, that's... Now, this this soundtrack for Suicide Squad is bringing back this, like, this concept, this phenomenon of uh, these songs. And even, like, Jared Leto has that... that Video with Skrillex and uh, that other guy. So it's Rick like, Ross. yeah, Rick Ross. <laughs> so it's 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 a cool concept. What do you guys think about that? I mean, the soundtrack through the movie was really cool. Um, okay, I had a good time with it. I saw the the physical disc of Suicide Squad soundtrack, and I only looked at the first couple songs, and I was really like concerned because it was like. Um, like for this kind of film, I guess it would make a little bit more sense. But it was like the you know the Skrillex Rick Ross song, Purple Lamborghini, and then like <laughs> Ti Little Wayne, um, and uh, like Wiz Khalifa song, and then like Imagine Dragons, which I'm not a huge fan of. So I was like, oh man, like what is happening here? Like please don't let WB just be like this is our music. We're gonna put our music in this movie, and I was really concerned. And then you see the film; it's a phenomenal soundtrack, but. Guardians, I think Guardians brought back the soundtrack because that soundtrack was like ludicrously popular. I mean, that sold through the roof. It like it was like Billboard number one for like two, two or three weeks or something like that. It was. It crazy. is, but I need, I do need to say that like this movie did use songs like older songs like that did too. But were any songs actually written for Guardians? You know. Right, right, and I do. I get that's, what that. that's what I'm saying. But you're right in that in that aspect that they did bring um, a lot of a lot of good songs into into this kind of like to to set the mood or to like just be like oh well we're gonna set the the mood for all these these different ages of people. Yeah, I mean like both movies use Spear in the Sky, for example. Um, Chris is right though, as far as like written for a movie like where they constantly drop Suicide Squad, you know what I mean? Like in in the in the song. Like that's something that hasn't been done in a I can't even remember the last time where I just heard a song where they constantly said Suicide Squad or Batman. You know what I mean? Like the Prince Batman soundtrack from eighty nine. You know what I mean? Where they're like you know, he made a soundtrack. Like David Bowie made the Labyrinth soundtrack. Like is just hasn't been done in a long time. This soundtrack, like I've heard all the singles, like Twenty One Pilots, Lana, uh, Lana Del Rey, uh, the Wiz Khalifa one, and Imagine Dragons, and the Rick Ross one. I'll tell you, every single song has been good. Every one of them has been good. It's and it's weird, and I don't know why. It, you know, all the all the trailers are like the trailer. I don't know. Or sorry, the video, the music video 
if you guys have a chance to watch that Skrillex Rick Ross one with Jared Leto, it is one of the weirdest things I have ever seen. It is like he doesn't even talk in it. Jared Leto is the Joker, and it's just like watch that, and then watch Taco putting on the Ritz, and you will see where he got that inspiration. <laughs> yeah, that's that. I, I remember watching that music video and just being really like confused, only yes. because it was like the Joker walking around all solemn, like you know, like you know, like mobstery, and then Skrillex bouncing around behind him, and like them riding on a boat. I'm just like, what is fucking happening here? This is the craziest music video ever. How much money do they spend on this? Like, this is crazy. It's wild. But yeah, I love that soundtrack. Uh, new tunes as well as old tunes mixed in. I, I thought it was good. Awesome. And a remake of Bohemian Rhapsody by Panic at the Disco. I heard oh, it. yeah. Well, that was good, too. Yeah. Cool. What do you guys, uh, any other points you guys want to make about this movie before we wrap it up? Um, I wanted to talk about the after credits. Yes, let's talk about that. Or mid credits, I guess, if you really want to be technical. Yeah. The classic Marvel move. So, the mid end credit sequence. We see Amanda Waller talking with Bruce Wayne, giving him the files with the Justice League characters in it. Two things of note. A, it would seem that Amanda Waller knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman, because why else would she be giving it to him? He also makes the mention of, you know, if you don't shut down your squad, I'll bring my league to fight you. I know they don't use those words. I'm just being stupid. Um, but well, like, she, straight, she straight out says oh, his night job, too, or working nights. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about that, but the other point that I wanted to make... Well, I, okay, I'll bring this up. What do you guys think about that, first of all, that Amanda Waller gives him the Justice League files and presumably knows that he's Batman. And then I'll bring up my other point. Do, isn't isn't that exactly what happens in Batman versus Superman like already? Doesn't he already have all that information? I mean, maybe not like the concrete information, but he learns enough about them where he can like find them. Isn't that the kind of like I feel like my my point in that is like they kind of established that he already has an idea of this and this is just like cementing that. It didn't feel like I feel like there could have been like it, it was like the Marvel thing, what they what they get right about that is when it's a reveal, you're like, you know, in their mid credit scene, you're like, oh shit, and you're super excited, right? But then it's like, well, we got that scene in Batman vs Superman, and then like we, and this is a trailer, obviously, but then we know in Justice League he's like recruiting him, so it's like, yeah, well, yeah, he's obviously that's what's happening. You know what I mean? Like, it, there's not like a, you know, Nick Fury showing up out of fucking nowhere and and you know, telling Tony Stark that he's assembling some people. You know what I mean? Like that's like a holy shit! I was not expecting this to happen. That this seemed more like tepid in 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 that regard. You know? It was uh, what I didn't really like about it as much was Amanda Waller going to Bruce Wayne for protection. I don't really under, I, I I don't understand that. Um, I know that she messed up, but at the same time, Amanda Waller doesn't go to people for help. So I I for what it was. I just felt it was kind of out of place for um, how they established her character. Um, it was also out of place how maybe maybe the maybe the documents have more in-depth um, information on Arthur Curry as you know as as a human as the human side you know stuff like that. Um, 
Because, I mean, how much did those emails really have that he stole from Lex? But, you know, you never know. Um, that I can forgive. Um, I don't know. It, like you said, it wasn't like, mm. it was just kind of like, eh, let's just, let's just get going. Because why, why all of a sudden you said you, you don't want to do mid-credit scenes, and now you're doing them? I, um, I kind of agree with, with both of you. Um, I mean, the mid-credits seem like whatever. Amanda Waller going to Wayne Industries was like, well, what can Wayne Industries do to anything? You know what I mean? Like, they're a multinational billion company. Like, everyone knows who they are. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, and I do think that the files that she gave him were more in-depth because if he just saw a video of that dude, he doesn't know that his name is Barry Allen. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know that... You know what I mean? Like, there's all those plot points that make sense. Was it as insane as, like, a Nick Fury reveal? No, but I was okay with it. What I wanted to ask you guys was this. What if instead of Amanda Waller being there and giving him those files, what if that was GQ, a.k.a. Dick Grayson, would then that scene blew your mind? Because for me, I would have been like, oh my fucking god, this is the greatest thing ever. What if, like, imagine, imagine if it wasn't even, like, uh, getting the, and this is just fantasizing at this point for me, but, like, imagine if it wasn't even him getting files, but, like, you just happen to see, like, or, or, you know, he's leaving Amanda Waller's office. Maybe he does get the files. He's leaving, and he passes GQ, and you just hear him say, oh, hey, Dick, and he just <laughs> walks by. Like, something small like that, you know what I mean? Like, like, you, like th- that would have made me shit my pants. Uh, like that would have been the Nick Fury reveal, where you're like, "Oh my God, he's fucking Dick Grayson," and like you know, just something, something, just like that. Those moments are built on like revealing huge things. I think that that's the importance of post-credit scenes. I know they're not trying to pull a Marvel, but like you know, it, it, I mean, they should it, be. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, they it, to an extent they should be, but like you know, at the end of um. Uh, 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 Civil War, right? We get that, even though we know it exists because we've been introduced to Black Panther, when you see Wakanda for the first time, you're like, holy shit, like I had a nerdgasm. You know what I mean? It was like that small. All you have to do is like show me some fucking fog in like a, you know, a panther statue and I'm fucking gold. You know what I mean? I'm good. So like just something small. Give us something that's not like... I don't Atlantis? Know, yeah, dude, it's fucking, yeah. Show him, like, on a boat. You know what I mean? Like, show, like, the, that scene that we ha- we see in the trailer of, of Justice League, right? Like, show maybe something before that, right? I don't know how they're going to plan it, so I can't say that this is how they work. But, like, imagine if you were on a boat, and the guy's like, are you sure this is where you want to go? And he's like, yeah, that's where I want to go. And he's like, but there's nothing there. And he's like, yeah, there is. You know what I mean? Like, that would have been one of those moments where you're like, oh, shit, you know? Like... It's it's building that connective tissue, but it, it, like it, based on something new. But they already did that because Batman showed up twice in this film before. So it's not like a big like oh Batman's in the film. It's like it's already you know it's there. Or go back to Gotham. Batman talking to Gordon and saying Harley's broken out of Bell Reeve. Joker's got her. Bam, going into the next Batman movie. You know right. what I mean? And then you're, introducing, you're introducing Gordon as a character right away. 
he's there. That's what I mean. Like that yeah. would have been like that right there would have been crazy. I still like the Nightwing idea because then he would have been like, oh, he was under cover the entire movie, and you would have known that okay, Nightwing exists in this universe. We didn't know that he existed in this universe. Like the Gordon thing would have been more subtle. The Nightwing thing would have been explosive. But two of those things are already better options. Or the Atlantis thing, like maybe they pan down and you see fucking Atlantis. Like all those things would have been better than what they presented to us. That's yeah. that's it. Yeah. So can we give our overall maybe out of fives, out of tens, like what do you what do you say on this movie and how do you think it presents into the extended universe, the future films? Uh, let's let's do it out of a hundred percent. Since they since they do it on Rotten Tomatoes, let's kind of line it up with that. Um, let's let's remind everybody it's twenty six percent by critics, it's seventy one percent by fans. I my my score is eighty percent. Um, it's eight out of ten, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I liked it. Uh, I had a good time watching the movie. Uh, I went with my wife, who loves these kind of movies. She she has a background of the character, so you know it's it's interesting to watch a movie like these movies with her because I know so much more than her, but she knows it through me, and she she had a really good time. She loved it, so I thought um, at least in that aspect, people could enjoy the movie, and I and I did over you know for the most part. For the in terms of the future. Um, I'd love to see another Suicide Squad movie, um, but give us give us a heist movie, give us something more uh, more grounded. I'd like to see something like that. Clay, uh, um, I I think I, I out of a hundred, I give it like a seventy-five, right? Because there were I I definitely like walked out of the film and I was like I had fun, you know, like and and I I feel like a lot of times. I uh, over critique things and I didn't walk out of the film and immediately start critiquing it. Like it took me a little while to like, you know what I mean? Like to absorb it before I was like, okay, well there were issues. So like I, I think this film is, does not deserve like a, what, like a 20, was it, what was it? 21 or 26? 26. Yeah. So 26 does not deserve that. Like, sure. There are a lot of like technical things that are, you know, messed up with this. There are a lot of plot things that are not perfect with this film, but like, it was fun. You know what I mean? It's like, if you have a good, I go to films to have a good time. I think anyone does. You don't go to get like, you know, to, to, to change yourself always. You know what I mean? Like, there's some films where you go in and you're like, man, this is going to be intense and like, it's going to be a, a spectacle. Uh, or like, you know, like The Revenant, right? Like, you know, it's going to be an intense and it's going to be like, like an artistic film but like this I'm like with any uh, not to shit on comic book movies but with any comic book movie I'm going to have fun like I don't expect like you know art exactly you know what I mean like all, there's art to every film but like I don't expect it to high be high art yeah exactly I don't expect it to be like a super like I expect it to have fun it's just supposed to be an action film that's fun and it accomplished that goal so I'll give it a 75 um, as for, like, the future of the DCU, I think, you know, this is, like, the first breath, I th- the first real breath of the DCU. Like, if they continue this, like, uh, individualized, like, idea of, like, creating these, uh, you know, auteur films, like, if they do, like, a, you know, uh, a 
I, mean, I guess you could technically say Zack Snyder's done it, but these films that feel fun and, like, step away from the gritty a little bit, like, allow yourself to fucking have some jokes, like, allow yourself to, like, step away from, like, 100% comic accuracy, you know what I mean? Like, for the sake of the story, because you can please everyone that way, like, I think that this is a good, this is, this gives me hope for the future of the DCU. Um, and hopefully they, you know, learn from their panic um, towards the end and, and don't, you know, let the creators do what they want to do and, and stop sticking their fingers in the fucking, in the pie. And just let them, <laughs> let them go ahead and make a good movie. <laughs> I give it a 65 out of 100. Um it, the the reason why is because they still don't get it. They don't get that like you can't rush this process. You're you're seven years behind in your world, and I'm sorry. I know you want to rush to the Justice League, and I know you want to get all these characters together on the big screen and have your next Avengers and have a billion dollars, but like that's thinking with money, and that's not thinking with general audiences, and it's not thinking with comic book fans. And, like, for that, for, like, those slaps in the face where, like, we see them, like, rip out the Enchantress uh, spooky Mr. Roboto dancing fucking heart and then throw a shitty bomb at it and then shoot it. And it was, like, this is the worst, like, like that shot where, like, Harley throws him a gun in slow motion when this dude probably has, like, a hundred fucking guns strapped to his body. I was, like, this is... Just this is just dumb. This is just worse than a Van Damme movie. So like, I can't give it. I can't give it like anything more than sixty-five percent because like, yeah, there's some amazing fucking shit in the first thirty minutes of this movie. Like, I get to see the Joker and Harley together on screen. I get to see Harley on screen. You know what I mean? Like, there's some beautiful things in this film, but like, there's a lot of bad that I have to just wipe away and go. You know what? I had a fun time overall, um, and that's the 65%. I would see all these characters, with the exception of Killer Croc and El Diablo and Slipknot, because they're dead, um, in another movie together, like on another squad venture. I would totally do that. I'd rather see Harley and Joker in their own Batman movie. Like that, I would see. Um, Harley in her own solo movie? No. I'm sorry. Absolutely not. I thought Margot Robbie was fantastic, but Harley Quinn as a character should never be alone. It's just, like, I've never read one of her comics, but I'm pretty sure that she's with other people in every single one of her comics because she's too fucking batshit crazy to be by herself. So, like, either Poison Ivy and Catwoman all show up together and they do this girl movie, or it's Harley and Joker, or uh, Harley and, yeah, and Joker do, like, a Bonnie and Clyde type of movie, or, like, some situation, but, like, DC really needs to step back and look at these movies, and, and now that Jeff Johns is, like, overlord of all of DC, maybe this is how it's going to be, where he goes, this is a comic book. This is how a comic book turns into a, you know, on screen. Seeing those beginning sequences with, like, Deadshot and then, like, his likes, his dislikes, where he comes from, and it's, like, a comic book splash screen, that's Jeff Johns in the editing room going, this is what makes comic book fans get hard-ons. Do this. So, until we get a full comic book movie 
And, you know, there's some crazy shit. Like, they do mysticism, and they do magic, and all that stuff, and I was super happy about that. But until they really get that idea that a comic book movie needs to just literally be a comic book put into moving pictures, they've got a little while to go. Wonder Woman, I'm hoping, is awesome. It looks good. I'm a little worried that it's set in World War One. I'm sorry. I wish it was only in Themyscira, but that's just me. Justice League, the footage that I saw looked fucking amazing, and I have hope for it, but they also don't have Green Lantern in it. And I don't understand it. So DC for me, it's like, yeah, you're doing fan service by making sure that if you're a DC comic book reader, you get these movies. But at the same time, those aren't the ones who pay the bills. The general audience pays the bills. And the general audience is rating you at uh, 71%, uh, which is only slightly higher than my 65. So get your shit together. Oh, those are those are probably the best points that Sorry. anybody can make. No, no, you're you're totally correct. And my 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 gracious 80%, you know, I give it to that because you're nicer than I am. It's always. not even that, it's not that I'm nicer. I I hated Batman versus Superman. I I really wanted this movie to be another step and actually probably hating that movie going into this one with very low expectations, you know, was good. And also knowing the source material and seeing a lot of that brought to life um, yeah. was was really important to me too. So you're right, the movie was a mess in a way by the end of it, but that, like we've been saying, the first 30 minutes, if they could have stayed on that kind of that pacing and that kind of just fun, um, they could have really done something with it. So here's hoping that the next step is, another, is a broader step. Um, we have Wonder Woman coming out next year. We have Justice League coming out next year. So that is a big year for DC, and will pretty much make or break them. Because if I they agree. can't, if they can't do either one of them, I mean, they're talking about doing a Man of Steel sequel now. You know what? Don't even talk about that. Give us the next year, and then we'll let you, we'll let you uh, move on from there. So, oh, and you know, I'll I'll love a Ben Affleck uh, Batman movie, of course. I'm sure. Yes. But, yes. Uh, but that that about wraps it up, guys. Um, well, yeah, you do another podcast. Uh, yeah, I do a podcast called Why Read the Comics, where me and someone who knows absolutely nothing about comics watch uh, comic book movies, and we talk about um, mostly how bad a lot of them are. Um, there are a lot of good ones, um, but then there are a lot of Batman versus Supermans and Howard the Ducks and Ghost Riders. So, you know, we talk about it, and we, uh, we you know, yell at each other and we say mean things to each other. It's fun. It's a good time. That's right. That's For every uh, Avengers, there's a Garfield tale of two kitties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, sounds like the uh, Calico Gods weren't happy with that one. Um, no. So, yeah. all right, guys. Uh, this is uh, this is Towel I Talk. Uh, we're part of the uh, Don't Forget a Towel podcast network. Uh, you can find us on the web at don'tforgetatowel.com, uh, your one-stop for all things geekly, news, reviews, interviews, and more. Uh, you can also find us on the socials, uh, Facebook at Don't Forget Towel 1, uh, Instagram and Twitter at D-F-A-T-O-W-E-L. Uh, give us a shout-out. Uh, we'll, you know, if you were doing anything wrong, let us know. If you want us to do anything, you know, give us some suggestions. We'll definitely take it to heart. Uh, where can you find us on the, uh, on the blog, um, the blog, the podcast sphere, Casey? You can listen to us on iTunes. If you're listening to us on iTunes, rate, review us. 
We like five stars. We'll take any stars, um, but leave us feedback. It only helps our, our ratings on, on iTunes. And then for Android devices, you can listen to us on Stitcher. Um, I also really wanted to thank Clay, uh, even though he's a contributor all the time to the website and to his podcast. Um, it's nice to have him on a podcast. And make sure to check out Top of the Stack every Wednesday morning to see his suggestions for um, what comics that you should be buying. And we're recording this on the 9th. Hopefully it will be out tomorrow on the 10th. But, uh, <laughs> you know, get those comic books. Read those comic books, as I say in every podcast. Then you'll get these movies more. It only helps. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, this has been fun. Uh, this little uh, the piecing's kind of off, just like the movie itself. <laughs> so we apologize for that. But um, Warner Brothers should be apologizing even more. Um, no, not just you. It was <laughs> kind of the structure of uh, everything. But it's it's not an easy movie to talk about at the same time. But we've had a good time, and we'll see you next time. This is Chris. Uh, this is Casey. This is Clay. Bye.